they're bad, they're boys, and occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Hello! Hello, New Year, New Year again, double New Year, triple New Year. <laughs> We've won New Year, haven't we? I think we have. It's very difficult. Have we? I mean, t- to be fair, we probably haven't properly New Yeared as people because, phew, what was that about? <laughs> Although, I do, do like Alicia Keynes. What did you do for New Year? Oh, did you watch? I, 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 I'm intrigued. What did what 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 happened in the Hellard household for New Year? Not much, really. We've been. We. It seems as if COVID truly has been ripping apart most of the people we know. So um, we we didn't get up to much. We've um, yeah. Mum and me had COVID. One of our well, two of our different friendship groups that had COVID. Ross Ross McDonald, the famous Rock, Ross McDonalds. A uh, future mother-in-law, their the my driver, their whole family had COVID. It just seems that this this new strain is just so much more prevalent and really is something to be taken quite seriously. Yeah, um, yeah, but it's it's a small price to pay, isn't it? Not having a yeah. crazy new year. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I, I mean, whatever you did will be more exciting than what <laughs> what we did. Our, our new year, literally every year. New Year gets gets uh, less and less impressive, and I think this year was the worst so far. Um, essentially, New Year for us was Libby watching Bridgerton and me sat next to a reading, and that was it. That was it. And Bridgerton, she finished. She finished watching Bridgerton uh, about a minute past. It finished uh, last episode about a minute past midnight, so we kind of missed the midnight, the fact it was midnight. And she got up and went, see you later then. And that's it, and went to bed. That was that was our new year. <laughs> she didn't that's... even say happy new year. Not even, not even, well, I said, oh, happy, and she went to bed, oh, happy new year. And that's it, she went to bed. Perfect, that's, that is, that was, that was happy new year in the Rainsford household. I don't even know what Bridgerton is, but. Um... Oh, what, you don't know what Bridgerton is? Imagine. No. All right, imagine this, imagine if, uh, I don't know. Do you did you ever like things like Pride and Prejudice? Uh, you know when it was on with Mr. Darcy stuff like that. Those kind of period dramas. Do you do you, are, you, are you into that kind of thing? I, I I wouldn't imagine that's your kind of thing, really. If I if I ever watch any of them, then I'm sure I'm going to love them. Sure, you know, I just haven't quite got round to it yet. But <laughs> I haven't quite soon got round to it yet. Okay. Well, yeah. If if you watch things like Pride and Prejudice or Sense Sensibility, like Jane Austen type type stuff, and you think, do you know what this really needs? This needs a lot more shagging in it. And then that is exactly so. So Bridgerton is basically it's um, it's produced by Shonda Rhimes. It's uh, Pride and Prejudice and Orgasms. The, it's like something like that, but but it's produced by Shonda Rhimes. So it's um, it's quite. I would say it is a kind of a modern updating of a period that it's like. Is she any relation to Buster out of interest? No, you you no, say her name no. as if... Okay. Buster fucking hell. How do you even think that? No, Shonda Rhimes, Shonda Rhimes is, uh, used to be um, she was on ABC, but she, she wrote things like Grey's Anatomy. 
Oh, and, okay. Uh, and her stuff's great. Really, really good. And um, so it's kind of like an up... It's kind of like what... It's like a more... Diverse a modern old thing. Period drama. So, like, the problem with period dramas is that it's just full of white people, isn't it, normally? Like, white, <laughs> yeah. Old white people and um, young white people who defer to those old white people. Who are also disgusted by things that no one's disgusted by anymore. Yeah, I mean, that kind of that kind of still is the thing because it tries to keep with the period thing, but it's just it kind of updated in a really, a really, really interesting way, and it has things like um, so it's still a period drama and it still it, it follows a um, it's a regency drama, so it follows a period of um, when uh, sort of the the court before Queen uh, uh, Queen Charlotte, who was uh, married to uh, George III, who of course was mad. madness yeah mad. and uh and it's, it's just it's really true it's based on a book and it's based on a, like a gossip column a gossip column um uh, for um that, that scandalizes the court and it actually brings to life it's um like so it, it, it it's the kind of thing that the daily mail and the telegraph go on about oh this is typical woke programming uh, <laughs> it doesn't do it justice uh, you know it, 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 you know and actually it actually it, it does it kind of it, you they're picking on the wrong bits really because it, it is very good but it doesn't there's really like nice bits in it like um all like the period music is modern music but you know there's so you, you hear um like things like a uh, bad guy um, played on a harpsichord, uh, <laughs> and, and it works. It works really, really well. But there's, but there's a lot of. It sounds like the most try-hard thing. No, that you can... no, it sounds like that's the problem. As I'm saying this, it's saying this sounds. <laughs> uh, I, I should never. Does Darcy do a rap? Or... <laughs> but it's actually, it's actually quite good. Like there's. Um... It's so good that you were reading your book. It's so it's more visceral. Well, I, I, I'm not really into period dramas and stuff like that. The fundamental thing is about all these period dramas, as much as you try and update it, fundamentally that all the conflict in it happens because someone will not explain something to someone else that if they just explained it would solve all of the problems, but they don't. So they hold it in and go, oh, I can't possibly tell you why I can't do this. And that goes on for like four or five episodes. And then when they explain it, they're like, oh, was that the only reason? Fine. Well, that's that's Kirby and enthusiasm, isn't it? He just, has to, <laughs> he just has to say, this is what's happened. I'm sorry. Or just I've not to... do the thing that he's going to do. I got to say, I, I watched, we watched um, the latest season of Kirby Enthusiasm um, at, the, at, at the start. Like, and I've got to say, it's, got, it, it's the best one yet. Um, where he wears the the Make America Great hat again in order to get people to make sure that they don't bother him or sit next to him. And then when he, <laughs> and then when he starts his spite store, his spite coffee shop, to to try and get the person out of business who banned him from his store. I, it, this, it's just, that is that is incredible. That is I've incredible. only ever seen a, a couple of programs of it, but maybe I should... Oh, no, what? Have you, what? Yeah. It's insane. This, no, I, I definitely agree with you. When you first start watching, you're like, this is like the British Empire. This is, uh, you know, like, all of this can be solved if you just, one, don't do the thing you're doing, or two, just explain it properly. Yeah. Um, but it's this one, he's got a friend, um, Jeff, Jeff Garland, who um, is just brilliant. And he has a wife who, who, who's, like, really aggressive and hates, hates Larry and everything. And they bring in loads of celebrities, like, like Ted Danson's in it and, and loads of other... You know, loads of... <laughs> Ted Danson, he's a, he's a huge name right now. <laughs> he is. He is. He is still, isn't he? Is he? What? Yeah, of course he is. What? What? He is. 
he's still he's still massive. He's still huge in terms of TV. Is he? What was he? What was the call? Is it the good place he was in? Did he? Didn't he win an Emmy for that? That's terrible. Wasn't he? He was in that as well. He's, I, I think it's amazing how what he's doing actually, considering you know he used to, it was funny because we were watching something, uh, Frieda watching something on Netflix or something, and it had Kirstie Alley in it, like back in the back in the eighties, and you think, wow. Like Kirstie Alley, yeah, that's that's going back some time, isn't it? And uh, yeah, but Ted, Ted's still going strong. Well, Ted's bring great. you back Ted's to what you were saying about MAGA. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah, so we're just filming this as um, uh, filming the this, morning this, after, as the morning after the, um, the the attempted coup, as it were. I just, I still can't quite get my head around it. Um, in, in, well, when I first read the Capitol building, because my, my friend Ying Yang texted me from the States, and I, I assumed there was a, like a Capitol building in every, every state. I thought it was maybe the Georgian Capitol building. Oh, I what, didn't, like the state Senate? Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't realise it was the equivalent the of the Houses of Parliament. And that is what really makes you think, wow, this is almost Guy Fawkes level of revolution. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? But then, so you hear all that, and then when you see the photos, I mean, like, some of those photos were, like, of the guy sat in Nancy Pelosi's office. <laughs> what are you thinking? And then the guy, I know, it's like, you do realise that they're taking... You're going to jail forever for this, for that photo. Guy, the guy who nicked the speaker's um, podium... Uh, and was walking out with it, and then they had all the guys dressed as Vikings. And yeah, like, oh. and the level of controversy about um, about a pencil being stolen from the from Buckingham Palace. <laughs> <laughs> now this is good, and that's the thing we, the Brixton and I were talking about this morning. And if you remember the Brixton, well, the the London riots, not the Brixton riots, where the youth just suddenly realised that there's nothing we could actually do as a society to stop them doing what they wanted. Yeah. And there was one, one poor soul who stole a bag of rice as his looting. And he went to jail for it because they wanted to throw the book at they threw the everyone. Book at everyone, didn't they? They threw, yeah. the, threw the book at everyone. Uh, um, um, I guess, I guess in America that's never happened. They haven't, they've not even slapped the wrist of anyone involved in any of this. And so it does feel as if, they they probably feel as if they can just get away. Wait, with wait it. a minute. We we need to <laughs> we need to be more accurate. Uh, anyone who's white, we have to say. <laughs> like, yeah, the, true. The, <laughs> I think the response would be slightly different, and it was slightly different when the when when BLM were were there. The difference is that you didn't have the the head of state inciting it literally moments before. Yeah, but what? That, that's it's that's a crazy. They have such a direct I mean, like, relation. He, he went. <laughs> he he put it together. He did the speech about it. He incited it, and then just left them to to get on with it. I mean, it's it, it's kind of it's really difficult to believe. And then it's really difficult to believe when you think the last time there was an invasion of um, of the Capitol building was in eighteen twelve when the British raided it and tried to burn it down. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I mean that <laughs> Look, we've lost our record. I know. We need to get back over. <laughs> But um, I was quite surprised because I just assumed whenever you walk past the Houses of Parliament, you see policemen with massive guns. Yeah. And I'm, you remember that in the UK because you don't really see policemen a anywhere. You might 
occasionally on incredibly high alert see one in a train station yeah. but seeing some of a gun is is really quite shocking still and quite jarring yeah whereas in the states because there's so many guns Everyone, i just that's, just, the, that's the difference that people are walking around with them so but i assumed that the whole of this the capitol building would be surrounded by armed police or armed guards of some sort and and that's what amazed me that actually they just got in with a little bit of pepper spray well quite a lot of pepper spray to be fair but uh yeah it was weird i mean i it's like it's weird because one of the things that you know, they're obviously saying is that they kind of weren't prepared for it. But you saw, like, you know, when uh, all of yeah. the all of the people, you know, uh, congregating outside. Yeah. And you know, and people trying to storm areas of votes, uh, voting booths, and things, and recounts where exactly the same thing happened. Yeah, exactly. When they're bang- banging on windows in order to get people to recount, you know, threatening. Really, I mean, the fact is that bit by bit, it's been it's been it's kind of just been it? allowed. It's been allowed, and the problem yeah. is that you know, literally moments before, you had senators in mm. you know in the in the Senate itself still fueling that, still fueling that by by refusing to um, accept the um, the electoral college votes yeah and so yeah. you're like well what do you think like what did you what did you expect and, then- and actually i was watching it thinking as long as and it's it's a shame that i think four people have died so far and that's obviously always sad but th- this almost needed to happen for something to actually change because so far if things proceeded then trump was going to leave office and nothing would have changed in the political system and actually all those flaws and all those errors and all that disbelief and lack of trust and empowerment these groups have would go unchecked and they needed something like this to actually pin on trump and pin on the way that um false truths and the media are just you know disseminating these these lies and they needed something like this to actually make the republican party to say, look, this is what you've done. Like yeah. you've supported it's, this, you fooled this. This is all you've got to take responsibility for all, this it's, now. It's enabling. It's, 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 it's it, the thing is, it's not. It, I mean, Trump itself is the bad thing, but it's his, it's his enablers. That's what's really made. That's what's there's there's people who at so many points along the way could have stopped this, could have said no, this won't. You know, th- th- you've gone too far with this. But he's mm. been enabled to the point of you know where people are still questioning the result. And Pence, it's like Pence has had to go like no, and that's really it. And then you know, at some point, someone says no, and and then this happens. And but this is typical. This is typical, isn't it, of of of, uh, of what happens in the Senate, and 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 I think particularly with Republicans as well, is that. It's not until they become personally affected, then all of a sudden this becomes a cause to them. Mm. And this was, yeah, this, I think this is like a massive wake up call. The fact that actually, you know, you are, you, you're, you're going to be put in harm's way by this, by the people who are supposed to be your own supporters as yeah. well. Yeah. And, and yeah, just, just amazing. And, and great, great episode for this to happen on, given that we're, we're speaking to, we haven't even introduced you to who we're going to be set, who we're going to talk to you later. Um, I mean, the Sheriff Pavers, just amazing, amazing people. And they're here to talk as to us about their whole journey from being brought up in a system of systematic doping through escaping to America. Um, so that is to come. We probably should drop in some running news, but 
There just hasn't really been any over Christmas and New Year, has there? <laughs> weirdly, weirdly, I've got, I, I, from a personal perspective, I have managed to go, I went for my first, it's not a run, this is the closest thing can get to, I went for a walk yesterday, my first post-gout two walk. Oh, uh, mate, congrats. And how, so um, least, how long, how far can you do it without... Well, it go. The thing is, when you get gout, it it feels weird because when you when you first get it, you don't think you've got it. It feels like you've sort of uh, fractured your toe or something like that. So you go through these periods where you have it. It mirrors how you get it, how how it feels when you get it. When you first get it, you think, "Oh, I've broken my foot or I've fractured my toe or something like that," and then you get the like the pinpoint pain and then you get all the inflammation and so it's going the other way now yeah all the inflammation's gone the pinpoint pain's gone and now it just feels like i've fractured my toe again which means that it's on its way out so you can you can kind of even though it's kind of painful you can run on it because there's nothing actually wrong with it you're looking forward to the bliss of a fractured toe oh the kind release <laughs> so so i can actually run i can actually uh run on it now um so yeah so i can i can get back to um uh, actually refusing to run because it's too cold outside <laughs> it's too cold, it's, too cold. <laughs> it's like it's just having the option of being able to run that i wanted and I, I, there was no never any real intention to run <laughs> I think well, hasn't the hasn't the in running news that the um, BBRC group um, have um, decided upon several races uh, for next year? Yes, yeah, I believe so. I think that's progress. Of which one of them is uh, beer lovers. Beer, August so Bank Holiday. Beer lovers. beer lovers is BLM, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. No, I, I mean, I'm a I'm a. <laughs> I'm a furious supporter of both. Um, <laughs> although I don't know if I behave. I don't know if I've had the same emotional attachment to to the to the two. Um, that's true. It's BLM. <laughs> wow. To that. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to go themes to the themes. That could go terribly wrong. Um, yeah, beer lovers marathon. So if you if you don't know it, listeners. We've done an episode about it in the past. We've spoken about it every year we've gone because it is the best race on earth. Happens in Liège. It's, I think, the penultimate weekend or the, the last weekend of August. Get it in your diary now. No matter where you are in the world, put it in your diary. We're going to be going with at least 100 people. Yeah. And it, it, I, I, it's I, just I, so fun. Have you, have you looked at when you might be vaccinated? You know, you can get there's a, there's a there's a calculator that works out, you know, based on your age and, and anything else when you when, when you're oh, so possibly likely. I'll get mine before you, will I? Well, you should do. You are much older than me. It's true, but but I, I don't know if it works that directly. Whether it's correlated to the number of places you can get vaccinated in your local area or well, the first know. the first uh, what's it called um, Oxford vaccine came to Haywards Heath. So you know the person who was first here? No, I don't know. I think it was. Unfortunately, it was only just staff there. But um, but yeah, the, I suppose my, well, the reason why I was saying that is because the uh, when you talk about the BLM, I don't know whether they're going to put any restrictions on whether you can travel or not, whether you've got a um, whether you've got a, a vaccine or not. But it's between. I, I'm supposed to be getting vaccinated according to this um, this calculator between uh, middle of August and uh, end of October. That's when that's when it's put down from when is I'm. Is that here. right? Yeah, man, that's our wedding. Oh well, we'll see. Um, hopefully, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna, uh, your everyone's invites dependent on whether they've been vaccinated. Well, the, it could. You the, never know. Oh, it could be. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, that's it. 
Have you? But hopefully there'll come a point where once everyone below the age of 60 is vaccinated, there's just going to be a mass, as we mentioned last time, a mass party for everyone. And that if you're not vaccinated at that stage, life will hopefully be returning back to normal anyway. I think it was like once they've got once they've got these 14 million vaccinations over, then it's something like nine out of 10 people who were at risk were, were unlikely, yeah. who, who would have died as a result of it are are protected against it. So, but so yeah, something... Well, if, if you had a choice, would you go Pfizer or Oxford? I, I think I prefer Oxford. Always Oxford, obviously. Oxford, um, yeah, it's just a better class. Yeah, a better class yeah it is. Good it, I mean, I did vaccine. my exams with Oxford. I, uh, <laughs> I, I prefer the blue colour Oxfords. I mean, the, <laughs> the Pfizer blue is, yeah, it's a joke. Only in Britain, only in Britain can we have two universities who compete against each other and have the same colour. <laughs> <laughs> just different shades. I mean... Different shades of posh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But before we before we go into interview, I wanted to talk. There's a I I've been reaching out to a few of our previous guests. To we're going to be promoting some old episodes again. I spoke to Harvey. Who do you remember, Harvey? A lovely oh, Harvey. Yeah, yeah, Harvey Sweetland. Yeah, yeah. And he he said he's actually had a documentary out, which I wasn't aware of. And with lockdown, obviously, document it's, it's one of those awards though. It's called. Like Harvey, like Sun. We always talk about how running documentaries are pretty dire because... Because they're about running. They're about running. And at some point, someone's foot hurts. Maybe they, they cry <laughs> yeah, a bit. Engineered drama, isn't it? Yeah. Then they change the music tone and suddenly, oh, wow, I can't believe this is joyous. Um, but Harvey's one, he was crewed by his dad... And that's what the film's about. And I think, and, and that in its that in, thinking about crewing with your own dad, that is a challenge already, right? Oh, I mean, the thing is, to me, that sounds like a comedy. Yeah, you, <laughs> we, we, we were talking about Curb Your Enthusiasm earlier, but that. It... I mean, I don't think that I don't think the dad decides all of the nutrition and sets the targets and the plan. I think Harvey has control. Well, Harvey definitely has control of that but he was doing the Appalachian Trail so that is like a beast oh yeah of a trail to take on and it's a really really nice documentary because I, I, I just don't know if, if any individual really has a completely rounded relationship with their father um. and, and even if there is there's still the dynamic of you're a child to them. And well, that's it. The thing is, like, you go, oh, yeah, he might, he's set the plan. I'm like, yeah, he might have set the plan. But if, you, if, you, if your dad is in the support crew, the execution of it is, gonna be, is, is the issue, isn't it? Imagine the stories you're going to get from them or, the, or how long it's going to take for things to... I mean, my dad's actually would be far better at organising stuff than I would because he's ex-military and he'd be absolutely on it. <laughs> but... <laughs> My dad, my dad, my dad would constantly mention how other people were in front of me, even though I wouldn't be in a race. He'd be telling me how other people are, how are much further than me, how someone else is probably doing better, how I look terrible. You're just like, thanks for all of that. But this this one's really good because um, Harvey actually was he was diagnosed when he was younger, wrongly, as um, being. 
I can't remember the exact the right terminology for it now, but but basically being a bit dim-witted, should we say? Yeah. And I can tell that, you that that is absolutely not the right terminology. No. <laughs> no, 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 and then apologies, apologies to Harvey and everyone else. But you know, he was wrongly la- he was wrongly la- wrongly labelled as that, and um and and actually as soon as you're pigeonholed in that as yeah. that as a child, you know that has quite dramatic implications of how you're treated, how you talk. And so that is also part of his backstory. And that, yeah, it's a really, really nice documentary. So I'm going to recommend that to people to watch, like Harvey, like Son. But do badders, what would your parent, if you were crewed by your dad, this is a, this could be a nice little topic for people to send in. Like what would, I mean, my dad would, would just have glasses of wine at every aid station, which could be worse. <laughs> Definitely could be worse. But what what would your dad do if you if you were crewing, or what would you do if you, if your dad was crewing you for a run that is you know day after day after day? Because there's got to be some humour there. Oh, absolutely, no, no, that's a good question. Good question. So email is letters at badboyrunning dot com. Now our next guest, we're going to get into it because this is this is an episode that I've been wanting to record for about three years and um it's it's partly taken us this long to to get in contact with them but partly taken us this long to believe that we we really should actually go for it and just try and try and interview them i mean this this episode was just everything we you know there were just amazing guests and so insightful into the mindset and also the operations of, of being in the Russian system and the Russian system. So don't need to say much more than that. Take it away, Nick. So listeners, we've got a, a really interesting podcast for you today. We've, we've often kind of updated you on what's happening in the world athletics in terms of the rules and in terms of uh, the situation with doping and dopers and the, the authorities. And we're incredibly privileged today to be able to speak to uh, to Julia and, and Vitaly Stepanov, who were um, involved in the Russian athlete, world of athletics and actually flipped whistleblower to, to help bring down the system that's happened in, in Russian sport. So uh, welcome on the podcast today, Julia and, and Vitaly. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Hello. Now, but before we go into to your story, since we actually arranged to have this interview, I, I guess two major things have, have happened um, in, in the world of athletics and doping. One of them being the fact that America passed a law recognizing that, um, you know, systematic doping is illegal, so therefore they can protect people who turn um, whistleblowers, but the, but the other one also being that the that Russian athletes can now um, compete in the next Olympics with a red top um, and the name Russia on the back. Um, and that the, the terms have been brought from, from four years down to two years for, for Russia. Um, how how do those two things kind of affect your life, and 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 also, what do you think of of those decisions? Uh, well, regarding the Rochenkov Anti-Doping Act, 
I, I actually don't see how that would affect us directly. Uh, it is my understanding that in the future, when American government will be dealing with uh, uh, whistleblowers, it, it would be then that those whistleblowers can be uh, can have same protections and same, uh, uh, when necessary, same financial help. Uh, when the government feels that uh, you know they they need to protect and provide help to to those whistleblowers, I, I think that mm. that's going forward, not 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 back to our case. So it's not retrospective. I uh, yeah, as far as far as I know, yes. Uh, I I don't think any any laws go go back. It, it usually usually goes uh, forward <laughs> forward. Uh, and uh, the second part uh, regarding the decision, actually, both of us are. A positive about the decision. Uh, first of all, I would say that's not the first time uh, the Russian state was was uh, sanctioned for their line and for covering up of doping use. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like it's a long, non-stop process, which in which actually you could say that even the World Anti-Doping Agency and the International Olympic Committee have been trying to help uh, Russian authorities to move forward, but each each time they they give them that hand of help, Russians don't take it. They continue to cover up. They continue to to cheat, and they continue not not allow to you know, to sanction those that were part of the system. And uh, and but it is what it is. And and in general, when we started whistleblowing, we were almost at a point when both of us felt that there is no doping fighting going on, at least in, in, in Russia and in Russian sports and what surrounds it. So e even the decision from uh, last week, I, I'd say uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot stronger than we could ever imagine, a lot better that, uh, that we could ever imagine the fact that the truth came out and uh, there are people dealing with it. There are laws, sports laws, that are changing, that are hopefully getting better, being better prepared going forward. Similar problems. So we are more positive about what happened. But on the other hand, I personally wish four-year ban stayed, but it didn't. And and do you think like do you think there is a way? to punish the state without necessarily punishing athletes who may not have been involved in doping or who may have only been involved in doping because they were forced to be? Again, this is a really complicated case. And initially when the water code was created, it was based on the fact that uh, as soon as uh, a country signs a, a, an anti-doping convention, uh, that means that their governments would follow laws and, and to prevent doping within their own countries. Uh, so the whole code is uh, thinking that no, no state would, uh, would cheat on, on such great level as, as a Russian state would, was doing. And, and of course, those lawyers that were that were writing the code, that when they realized that 
that was probably their mistake, assuming that the states wouldn't be cheating. Uh, and uh, again, they are the process now. When when that part of the code has to be changed, then again, nothing nothing is easy when when all all countries in the world get together and try to change uh, rules, make it uh, better. Mm. Now, now going back right to the beginning um, with uh, with you, uh, Julia, when you first started getting into the sport, like when when was drugs when were drugs first mentioned and and did for uh, for before that point did you think that uh, drugs were not part of russian sports um in my situation i came to sports when i was 17 years old and uh like right away i started hearing from other athletes about doping and of course, I was new and I didn't know what is it. And I asked my coach, what is it? And he explained me, it's like vitamins for athlete. And like right now, I don't need it because I'm just uh, starting, just start running. And in future, if I want to run fast and be a part of a Russian team, I, I, I need to use it like all other athletes. And and when you say all other athletes, was it? Do you mean within the team, or was it suggested that this was all athletes in the world? Um, I think in the, yeah. In my understanding, it was uh, um, my coach was talking about all athletes and high level, uh, like around the world, not just in Russia. And um, if you had, if you had said, you know, I, I, whatever happens, I don't want to ever dope. Would that have affected your career um, in terms of selection, support, um, and also being accepted into the community? Uh, of course, they are not uh, like not forcing you to take it. It's your choice. But uh, if you don't do it for coach, it means you, you will not be running fast. You will not make team. And for, for coach, it's not interesting to train you, to coach you. Um, yeah. I, 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 let me just add, add to that quickly. So, so for most of the uh, coaches, running coaches that Julia dealt with, <laughs> The whole uh, preparation of elite athlete was based on on the fact that recovery would be done with the help of steroids and, and other prohibited substances so those athletes can recover faster and can do next interval workouts sooner and, and quicker as, as well. So they, they all counted on the fact that if you don't recover fast enough, if you don't do intervals fast enough, you're not going to be able to run those necessary times at, at the elite level. And uh, there was, uh, at least in, in Yulia's journey, she hasn't met a single coach who said that I can get you to that level without uh, without prohibited substances. And were the and, and this this might be something you don't know, but with the training plans then, because you were, you mentioned about how 
you needed to take these drugs to be able to recover fast enough for the training. Do you think that the training plans that had been created were um, were harder than, for example, training plans that are created in, in countries where people don't have those drugs? And do you, do you think that's why you're almost forced into it? Um. I think they just didn't know other way how to prepare athletes because all these coaches, they are very old and most of them were athletes when they were young and they were using, um, like my coach explained me, they, and his time when he was running used a much stronger um, doping and uh, he, he knew only how to prepare athletes from his own experience with doping. He didn't know how to coach uh, athletes for without doping because you kind of need to mm -hmm. have a plan in your head for long term, you know, for long time preparation. And in mm -hmm. his head, it was just how to prepare athletes with doping. And um the way, how is, what is the system like in Russia for um, the relationship between coaches and the centralized federation? Are, can, are coaches just freelance people who can coach anyone and, you know, if they have a good athlete, they then become a, a more senior coach? Or are, are the coaches essentially advised, controlled, um, and communicated with by the, the Russian, Russian Athletics Association? Uh, well, there are different types of coaches, obviously, the ones that coach younger athletes. But if you talk about the, the elite-level coaches that had uh, uh, athletes that are part of the national team, national athletics team, all of those were paid... Uh, usually uh, by the Ministry of Sports, a center of sports preparation within uh, the Ministry of Sports, and also by a regional federation, athletics federation. Uh, so it, it, was, uh, it was a complicated process, and, uh, and if you start getting into that, uh, getting into that, it can take a long time, and it was actually really corrupted process as well, that uh, the whole system would at one point allow one athlete to uh, to compete within the within Russia at national championships or three regions at the same time. So let's say uh, Yulia she was region, but at the same time she could compete for Moscow and for another region. And when she gets uh, if she won, it's like twenty points for that region at the national championships, but it's not only one region gets that, those 20 points. It's each, each of those three regions get 20 points. But uh, how it was corrupted, uh, when, when one single athlete would go to a training camp, let's say to Portugal for three weeks, actually the financing would come from four different organizations, uh, from those three regions where an athlete is competing, and uh, the center of sports preparation within the Russian Ministry of Sports. So there is a, uh, you know, only one athlete, and he, uh, you know, one, uh, one financial assistance training camps, but uh, but that athlete would get in four. Uh, 
there was often the system behind the scenes that were basically the, the other three parts of uh, money would, would just get stolen. And, uh, and all the coaches and uh, sports officials were aware of that. Behind the scenes, they would arrange how everything would work on, on paper, where everybody could get, uh, you know, an, an extra bonus. Oh, and just was, this, so... was, was this uh, like very open or was this something that everyone knew was going on but just wouldn't talk about? Very often, I very often to sign empty papers with my name, without uh, numbers, without anything, because uh, they didn't want to me see how much I should get for this training camp. They just give me empty paper, I sign it, and in the end they give me some money, but in real, I don't know how much I should get. But, but uh, and you, you have to understand that everybody was fine with it, <laughs> because uh, everybody was part of that corrupt system and uh, everybody was getting some ex extra payments. So it's just uh, as long as they could agree how, how much they share with each other, everybody was fine with the, you know, signing and preparing those uh, empty or, or fake uh, documents. And the, even the Ministry of Sports of, of Russia, because again, so whoever was responsible was getting, uh, you know, extra salary from, from each athlete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, when you you get a lot of a lot of athletes and you get a lot of extra money doing doing things this way. Mm. And and um, and during that time, what like what? How did you first start taking the drugs? Like what? How was it given to you? And and also, at the time, did you feel that you were doing something wrong? In my case, I was when I was 19 years old, and I spent three months in the hospital, and I wanted to continue my running. And my coach asked my doctor about uh, how he can help me to come back after my sickness. And uh, yeah, my coach asked the doctor about uh, start giving me the prohibited substances. Um, like steroids and um, EPO injections, and my doctor said it uh, should help me to recover faster uh, after my sickness and also help me to do my training and fight with my sickness. Yeah, in my case, I was uh, uh, 20 years old when first time my coach um, did uh, in injections with uh, testosterone. And um, I didn't feel like I do something wrong because I believe this is, uh, helps uh, my body and everybody, like everyone is doing it. And yeah, I didn't feel uh, that I'm doing something wrong. And and how did you how did you physically feel from the EPO and the testosterone and 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 did you see like a big change in your training and your performance? Um, <laughs> um it, it's kind of hard to say because you you really don't know um, it was uh, like drugs working or you just was uh, like believing that they are working. But um, 
like I uh, like I say others people who ask me you you feel the same it's very hard to run and uh, the same pain but your time is faster when you do intervals when you go to race you feel the same only your time faster and um, were you were you told what to say about did your coaches say you cannot tell anyone this or you need to say these things if asked about whether you take drugs no it wasn't like this it was not secrecy <laughs> of course he said it's it's not like I, I should go and like tell everyone I'm using doping you know I'm using like prohibited substances it's not like this but it, it wasn't secrecy it's like you you just uh, in, in my understanding it was like now you are preparing for season mm. and now you are using like special vitamins for it and, but, and do you think oh uh, go ahead and if you ask about uh, like talking to journalists uh, I I'd say all of the journalists that we knew that covered uh, Russian athletics, uh, they were all aware of doping programs because some of those journalists were actually the, the participants as well when they were younger. But uh, obviously the journalists knew not to ask uh, hard questions about it as well. Yeah, they never asked journalists. Yeah, they never asked about doping. And, and do you think the the, the typical uh, Russian member of the public do they do they think that um, Russians are dopers and do they think that other countries are dopers? I, I don't think so because when I was fourteen years old and I was watching Olympic games, I really believed that. Uh, a Russian team that those athletes uh, they become Olympian because they were training from young age and very hard. I, I was believing in it, but when I become a member of a national team, I understood how everything works. Like you don't need to come from young age; you just need magical pills. But but if uh, if you ask uh, about general uh, audience. Those that follow sports, uh, like if, if I would read, uh, you know, the decision about uh, Russian athletes from last week, most of the comments under the articles will, would be uh, saying that uh, everybody is doping and it's all politics. And uh, Russia is just really unfortunate because uh, uh, there is a term actually in Russia, Anglo-Saxons, uh, that's often used, basically mm -hmm. English so it's always an excuse that you know what is controlled by English-speaking uh, uh, people, and uh, and the Russians don't have enough influence in it, and uh, this is what's happening. And the second part is uh, all all of those uh, uh, Western world countries they they can't beat us on in competitions, so they try to get rid of us by by creating those fake uh, fake uh, sanctions. But again, this, this, all of this is being read through the media, from the Russian state-run uh, media, and then people, uh, people believe in it. Mm. Julia, and, and, uh, Julia, what, when you, you, you just mentioned there that you watched 
uh, athletics when you were younger and, and you, you had this real belief. How did you feel when you when kind of this 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 truth was uncovered that actually everyone is required to dope? How, how did that make you feel at both in terms of what your expectations were of being an athlete, but also what it meant for your future? Yeah, I think uh, first time I, I feel like this is unfair, especially when I started working with Bartogalov and he told me like all athletes, not all, just like five athletes in the final in the cha in Russian championship, they are like completely dirty at national championship. And like in that moment I was sitting and like thinking, like all that that time I was trying to beat these girls, but they like were completely dirty and it was impossible to beat them. Like, and I was thinking like, this is like very unfair because like other athletes, they didn't know about this and they just try hard, but they cannot win or like be medalist because, because of the system. And, and do you think there were, do you think there were any individuals who were just fortunate enough to be so talented that actually they 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 got to the point of being successful without having to take the drugs and were able to continue clean or do you think the system wouldn't have allowed that i i believe uh, that uh that athletes do exist but they wouldn't uh, go on top because of the system and they just didn't want to fight it because they, they, they knew they, they cannot fight it, and they just stopped their career. But, but uh, let, let me just add, so there are many events within uh, athletics, right? Mm -hmm. If you ask about uh, running, we didn't know a single uh, female runner who, uh, who was at the top level with, without, uh, without steroids. Um, we can't really speak about other other events, but mm. uh, like I explained to you earlier about the whole system being corrupted. Um, so even if you got to the top and you saw all this doping going on, but you always you also knew about this, uh, uh, you know, the region regional stuff and about the payments and all all of these things, and you knew that you had to be a part of it if you wanted to go to training camps, if you wanted to have salaries. Um, so even if you were clean, you couldn't talk about it because you were uh, involved in other parts of the corrupted system. Mm. And 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 had you'd, always, you'd be like an accessory anyway. Even if you even if you were clean, you were still part of the system because you you knew about everything. Yeah, that yeah, exactly. Because the corrupted the corrupted system is not just doping; it's uh, it's also you know financial corruption. And, and had there been any cases of Russian journalists or Russian athletes you know, in the past 15, 20 years prior to that who had tried to, to tell the truth or who had tried to change the system? Uh, yeah, yes, they, there, there have been people that uh, even tried to go publicly, but uh, all of those times were... It, it, it was done within within Russia, and uh, by using uh, 
Russian journalists, and and often it just uh, it would stop at the first interview. Mm. If it wouldn't come from uh, from the Russian Athletics Federation or Sports uh, Ministry, it would come from uh, from the editors of, of that journalist. They would say, "Okay, uh, you made a mistake. We wrote about problems, but we can't talk about these problems. So just forget about it and move on on to the next topic." And so, uh, not nothing was really happening when uh, when people tried to do something about it w within Russia. So, when when you then came to um, to competing, Julia, where there's there are a, a couple of I know British runners, female runners, who you know they 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 didn't win medals, they lost funding because of Russian athletes. Did you were you aware of the effects that your success was having on others, and 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 was that something you felt sorry for at the time and, and bad about at the time? Um, I believed that all athletes using doping all around the world, and I start thinking maybe it's not true. Only when I start traveling to the border and meet with other athletes from other countries. And um, I remember one of them was Jenny Meadows uh, because mm. it was 2011 and she was competing like every diamond league and she was always like, like winning or second. And I knew that we cannot go to diamond leagues because we are um, on drugs now and we are preparing for world championship. But, but she was competing, and I was thinking, like, she cannot be on drugs if she's competing, like, at every Diamond League. Probably she's clean. And, and like, when I told her, like, she's, um, like, not only her and other athletes, like, how, they, uh, how, how they're talking with me, how they're, like, talking with each other, it looks like they didn't hide anything. You know, like when you see mm -hmm. like Russians, they like all together because they like one team and they have a secret, but others were, were more open and it looks like they, they don't have the same system like it was in Russia. Mm. But, but if, if you don't mind, but on the other hand, and again, we are not trying to make any excuses and, and we do feel sorry for those unfortunate clean athletes that uh, that within uh, athletics that never got to uh, compete on on the level playing field, but uh, we we have been hearing like once Yulia got to the higher level to the national national team level, uh, she started hearing that you know it's not just Russia, and maybe the coaches are right because people are talking that uh, well if you got a real big problem. You don't solve it within Russia. You go to DX, and uh, you just have to pay more, and it would be solved. Uh, so <laughs> you, you get to a point where it's like not just Russia is corrupted, but because the whole uh, athletics is corrupted. And if you know that the whole athletics is corrupted, how uh, like what do you do within Russia? Again, it, it just got the, the, the higher you got, the more complicated it got. And, and you know, the, the, the truth about the Russian Athletics Federation came out 
and the truth about the DX came out as well. And, you know, they, some of the people are just, you know, pretty messed up and uh, they didn't care about any, any clean athletes, about fair competitions. It, it was just, you know, messed up mindset of, uh, you know, of, of a corrupted uh, sports official that that's instead of uh, making sports better is, is destroying it, the top. Mm. And, and and you meant you mentioned how you couldn't um compete at all of the diamond leagues because of the testing so how what were the rules around the around which drugs you took when like how how often would you take them and and how long would you then have to be stay clear of races after that um when I started working with Portugal, he explained me everything. Like um, he was preparing me for. Like I told him, like I, I should have a few races in the end of May, like international races, uh, commercial races, and he was preparing me exactly for my first race that I I should be clean when I go to the border. And yeah, he told me like these five days you took these drugs, then you stop because like your body needs to like 35 days to be clean before your first race. Yeah, he was explaining me everything and I was following his recommendations. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll add to that. So Mr. Portugalov was the head of the Russian Medical Commission, the person who was mm. supposed to make sure that there is no doping going on. And instead he was doping uh, most mm. of the athletes at, at the high level, and he was making money on on that. So because you had to pay bonuses, and and, and the reason he knew uh, how many days uh, certain drugs are detectable, because uh, he worked in the same building where the Moscow anti-doping lab is, actually one one stair uh, uh, above uh, of uh, Dr. Rochenkov and Moscow anti-doping lab. So you know, within a few minutes, he could. Uh, Mr. Portugalov could just walk to Mr. Rochenkov and say, so what's what's new on this drug? How long is it de de detectable in your lab? And uh, Rochenkov uh, uh, would say, so many days, uh, five days. So Portugalov would say to, to an athlete, uh, yeah, do this drug, but stop doing it at this point, because if you do it longer, then you, you would be caught. And one of the reasons why Mr. Rochenkov knew how long it takes because he was doing it himself. He would drug himself and then uh, he would see how long a uh, substance would, it would stay in his body. Uh, so this, this is a pretty fair anti-doping system, right? <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm joking when I make that statement, but that's, that's how, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how messed up everything was and, and, and really nobody cared. And so how, how did you get caught then? Um, because of my blood passport, um, that was, uh, 30 when, uh, they created the blood passport and they start collecting the blood, Russians, um, were aware of it, but they decided to send few athletes with, uh, with high level, uh, like hemoglobin and other Things. And they didn't, they, they came after that international races and they didn't, um, was cut 
like didn't was disqualified after that. And Russians believe that um, uh, blood passport doesn't work. And they didn't really care how it's going on like in future, how it's because they were like thinking only about medals. And in my situation, my first race was my um, very bad for my blood passport because uh, Portugalov sent me this very bad uh, science, like very high level, like hemoglobin and other things. And, and my first race, and this is first, my uh, yeah, international testing was uh, exactly for my, for my disqualification. After that, they were, were trying to fix it. They were like telling me uh, what should be my hemoglobin level. Uh, they were like testing my blood before I should have some uh, other international testing, but it was already uh, late. <laughs> so, so be, because. Uh... Uh, this uh, blood passport was uh, uh, created, but for the first few years, uh, IAAF together with WADA, they were just collecting that data, and they weren't really sanctioning anybody. So the Russian uh, uh, officials got the impression that nobody would be sanctioned just based on the abnormalities in the blood passport. That would be used as as a additional. Uh, uh, information to, to prove doping, but you still have to test positive. And, and it wasn't the case because I, I believe at the end of 2011, uh, actually WADA started to try to in, enforce that uh, blood passport and started to uh, ask Federation, okay, we, we've been doing this for a few years. We haven't sanctioned anybody. Let's, let's try start doing something about it. So, uh, so the London games are cleaner in 2012. So IAAF at the end of 2011 sends this huge list to Russian uh, Athletics Federation, about 100 athletes. Basically, everybody who runs internationally, uh, middle and long distance. And everybody is flagged, meaning that uh, to one level or another, it's been proven that uh, every athlete on that list has been using EPO. Uh, but it's a long list. You can't just sanction the whole team before London, right? Because uh, that would be a huge scandal. And uh, and what, what is that? We're going to allow clean athletes to compete at London Games and no cheats? Let's, so let's just deal with it like, uh, like sports politicians do. We take the list of uh, 100, and at least in Russia, we'll sanction four of them, which will not go into London Games anyways, and let all the other ones go. And then, and we'll see how the things will unfold after the games. And again, that, that I believe that decision was made together, IAAF together with the Russian Athletics Federation, which just, you know, if it's just another way you, you really feel for those that try to prepare, uh, to prepare without doping and try to compete clean, that they, at, at some point it just feels that those sports officials, they just don't care. Uh, you know, they, they want to have this uh, illusion that the best athletes, the best uh, athletes are, are, you know, competing on level playing field. But it simply, when Yulia was competing, there was none of that. It was, uh, you know, a, a field uh, without any fairness. Essentially. And 
And what, why do you think um, why do you think you were chosen, Julia, out of that list of a hundred people? Why were you one of the four people selected? Um, I think because I didn't win gold for Russia. Uh, and uh, she wasn't selected before the London Games. Before the London Games, it was four people that were, were had no chance of going. So she still had a chance, so she actually got injured. So she was, she was sanctioned after the London Games because there was still, uh, you know, that pressure, you know, you still have that list. And then you have, mm. next year, you have World Championships in Moscow. So, you know, you still have to deal with this athlete. And, and that's... Uh, um, that's actually something uh, I, I was told happened at the end of 2012 when a, a lawyer from IWF came to the Russian Ministry of Sports and they just went to, for that list again and uh, they came up with the payments uh, and those that were Olympic champions or, you know, uh, medal winners at World Championships or Olympic Games, there was just, uh, there were payments made from Russians to the IWF and that uh, the second level athletes uh, they they became scapegoats, and Yulia was one one of those. And and did you? How much of that did you know at the time, or at the time did you just think, I've been unlucky, and um, this is just the cost of of doing athletics? I, I didn't know much at that time. <laughs> But 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 the chatter about a hundred athletes and uh, that were flagged—it's been going on since the end of 2011. So when we heard when we heard about it, it's, it was both of us that heard about it. Yeah, we just heard mm. about it, but we didn't know. Yeah, so so it's it's like people are talking behind the scenes, mm. but, but uh, you know you never know how true it is, and and obviously late, later you know it was true. <laughs> And and at that stage, how did you feel about that decision? Did you think that you were being treated unfairly? Did you think, did you still think at that time that Russia was being unfairly um, persecuted, or did you did you think that it was reasonable that you'd been banned at that stage? Um. This disqualification kind of helped me to understand how people really um, look at me and how they really, like, what they telling me a lie, like, what they were lying me before. Because before I believed them and I did everything what they told me, but then my disqualification happened and they start change their behavior. Of course, I knew they have like many problems because <clears throat> now many athletes uh, were disqualified. But I also think how it can happen only in Russia if like all world they use the doping. Why it's only in Russia so many athletes who are disqualified? And it, this disqualification, it's like give me a second chance to change my life and do things right and don't believe uh, these people and don't listen to them again and just just be smarter this time. And and, and, and part of that, uh, because the, the World Anti-Doping Code, it gives you a second chance. So you, you do get sanctioned, uh, but, but usually if you get caught the second time, it, it's at least eight years old or it's a lifetime ban. And so she's faced with the decision to 
continue to listen to those uh, uh, liars who would just tell you whatever you, you know, whatever they think you want to hear, or, you know, you can, uh, you can go your own way and then stop being part of the system. So I, I you know, I personally, as, as her husband, I, I feel that even, even though it seemed like a, a disaster at the time when it was happening, uh, you know, if you look back at it now, the fact that she got injured before London and she wasn't part of that uh, completely dirty London 2012 team, and then half a year later that uh, she was picked one of as one of the scapegoats, uh, you know, that's something that united us, united us as a family, and uh, I believe in the, in the end. Uh, those decisions are helping to make the anti-doping movement better. And, and how were you, how were you treated by your kind of fellow athletes, and also by by the and how were you seen by the general public? Like a traitor, they call me traitor and liar. But uh, I'm sorry, are you asking when she was just sanctioned, or when she became became known when, that she's a whistleblower? Oh. When when she was sanctioned, like did, did the general public in Russia did, were they feeling sorry for you, and did they feel that you'd been cheated, or or, or were you also blamed by the Russian media? Um, and, uh, I kind of um, they they still were supporting me. They kind of feel sorry for, me, but they kind of was talking like, oh, it's all world against of Russia. Like, don't worry, just two years, and you are you are strong. You will come back. You will run again fast, like you're a good athlete, like this it was. And, uh, you know, this is something that's how corrupted and unethical the whole system was. A lot of the top-level athletes, they're also employed by the Russian police, different regions of the police. And what it means is that you don't really work for, for the police, uh, but you have to compete for them usually once or twice a year. Or again, different regions of uh, of, uh, the, of you know poli police, mm. and uh, in exchange for that, you get a monthly salary, and you also get your uh, you know it's like you you've been working all these years. At the end, uh, uh, at the end, uh, you you also have a pension, a good pension uh, as as a policeman, uh, and usually those police competitions were happening at the time when most of the elite athletes would be completely dirty. So they would be going to those police competitions and they will all, mm. all be drugged. And, uh, you know, in the police, nobody cared as well. Mm. Even though in Russia, the, the dis uh, distribution of steroids is a criminal offense. Mm. But, uh, you know, if, if it is running and if it is running for a certain region in the police, then no, no, no reason to investigate and do anything about it. So that's yeah. just another level of corruption. They so, so, seem to be like very willing to make uh, uh, to, to to create the scapegoats from you know in order to sort of cover up the the, the you know the wider problems. How do they? Were they relying simply on like you keeping your silence in order to to you know to not not whistleblow? I mean, what what? Are they hoping like the bonds of you know not feeling like a traitor or something is the thing that's going to stop stop you from from talking about this in a, in a wider way? I'm just interested in what the whether there's there was any kind of pressure on you in terms of not saying anything 
or not doing anything that 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 might you know blow it up uh, wider in the in the in sort of the wider athletics community because uh, when athletes sanction they um, keep his salary and during this like two years band athletes still get money from the regions for whom he is racing and he also like got money from police and athletes they they know if they start telling the truth they just simply lose everything what they ha had before and it's like they should find some other things to do not sport because they, they will be like called liars and they will lose everything and, and this is actually one of the one of the first recordings that Yulia made went to the uh, head endurance coach of the Russian national team and that's that's what he was telling her actually before she signed the papers on, on the ban he starts saying that it's really unfortunate that this is happening and you know uh, it's, it's it's all politics there is no truth to that but unfortunately you would have to be banned uh, all of us will stay we'll continue running our system but uh, we, we will continue paying to you and also when you come back in two years because there is still time before Rio we will make sure that uh, you're still uh, staying on the national team we will help you prepare and you'll you'll be back on the national team you you'll compete in Rio you'll win the medal and then before that so just rest a little bit have a child we'll continue helping you financially you will get all all the money you need and uh, so it's like they're saying uh, you can go public but uh, what are you gonna achieve and and if you don't go public uh, well this is what we give you for that okay do batters this is the end of part one head on over to listen to part two and the rest of the interview with Stefanos Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs>